Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate, or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hi, this is KT from KT's Money Matters. Thanks for tuning in. So we're talking about what you can do in your home and what makes sense, when you should spend a lot of money, when you should maybe try to take a you know, the easier, softer, least expensive way out. And I think a lot of it depends upon how you think about your house and how you think about whether or not you're going to stay there a long time. So is it your temporary home, if you will, or your forever home? So I have asked Melissa Hammond from Hammond Design in Andover, Massachusetts to join me today to talk about what you should be thinking about, whether you're thinking about unloading your home to buy another home, what kind of renovations you might want to think about or enhancements and what kinds of things you should try to avoid. And then the other side, how do you make your forever home the happiest place on earth for you within your budget? Melissa, thanks for joining us today. Hi, KT. Glad to be here. I always have people say to me things like, well, you know, I need to rip out this kitchen and put in a new kitchen because I'm going to sell this home in a couple of years and I want to you know, I want to be able to sell it with a new kitchen and make more money. And I'm not always sure that people get their money back on that. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that comes up a lot. And, you know, doing a kitchen renovation is a big expense. And if you know you're only going to be there for a year or two, and the kitchen, other than cosmetic changes to, you know, that maybe it's, it's a little dated looking, um, you don't want to rip it out because you're just not going to get that money back when you try and sell it in a couple of years. On the other hand, if it's falling apart and you've got water damage and doors are falling off and, you know, things like that, you really can't put lipstick on that pig. You know, you're right. going to have to make some some bigger investments to make it look better. I've also had clients who have just said, "Okay, well forget it. I'm just going to leave it the way that it is and and sell it without putting any money into it and go find my forever home, my, you know, my dream home." And do the if work you there. Are going, right. And do the work there. Spend the money there. But, you know, if things are in good condition, but they just need some cosmetic updates, you know, painting the cabinets or putting in new countertops, um, also swapping out the cabinet hardware, the faucet, even those simple things, which don't cost a lot of money, go a really long way to increasing the resale value of your home when you do go to sell it in that, you know, one to two year time frame. So the trick is to really make it not look like it's in disrepair and to sort of like, you know, give it a little facelift, a little color, maybe carpets if it needs it, fixtures, things that make it look like somebody loved it while they were there, but you didn't spend a ton of money doing it. Exactly. And I think the same holds true throughout the rest of the house. A fresh coat of paint, decluttering, getting everything clean and fresh, even if it's you know, taking down the window treatments that you've had up for 30 years, you know, taking them down and not putting them back up again is going to make the space feel a lot fresher and more open when you go to sell it in that one to two year time frame. Yeah, I find people have the same window treatments on their windows for like the whole time that they live there. They do. And unless there are privacy issues, um, you know, you're better off when it comes time to sell to just take them down. Or if they're still in good condition and, you know, they're very simple, have them cleaned and, you know, put them back up again. But but I think paint goes a long way. 
to uh, making a home feel fresher. Also, if your flooring is in rough shape, say you have wood flooring, having that refinished is also another big bang for your buck. It's not really expensive to have that done. I mean, when you consider what you pay for other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot less expensive than ripping out the floors and putting in new ones. What kinds of work should people maybe try to avoid if they don't have to, if they're going to sell it in a year or two anyway? I would avoid doing big renovations. You know, anything that involves demolition, tearing down walls, um, you know, doing a big kitchen renovation, a big bathroom renovation. I think those things are just not worth it. And speaking of doing something to freshen up your bathroom, you can do something as simple as swapping out the vanity cabinet that's in there and putting in a new toilet. And, the, you know, and may, maybe the tile is, is in rough shape, but it's a small bathroom. You put in, you know, 30, 40 square feet of new tile, put a new pa- coat of paint on the wall, and, you know, it's, it's going to look like new. Nice. How about things like backsplashes in the kitchen? Do those add value? Do people look at that and go, oh, that's nice and finished, and maybe I'd pay more? It's possible. You just have to be careful in what you pick and make sure you pick something that's going to be appealing to the next buyer. My last question about selling it later, are granite countertops always a win in the value of a house? Not necessarily. Some people really don't like granite and have moved on and want to do things like quartz composite or quartzite or even marble. But if you have an old laminate or Corian countertop, definitely switching it out to some sort of natural stone or quartz composite material, you know, it it will really freshen up the space and make it make it feel newer and more up to date. So maybe new countertops, maybe some paint for those cabinets in the kitchen. Maybe you take a look at the floor and make sure that it looks it looks reasonably um like it looks like it fits with the rest of the house, then it looks reasonable, but you want to keep the renovations on the I'm going to sell my home in a year or two as not as small as possible, but as small as it makes sense and save your dollars for when you get into the new house and you get to do what you really love in your forever home. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. All right. Let's say we've got the forever home now. Here's what I, here's what I want to know. So we're going to live in this home forever. This is the place we really want to be. We have things that we want to do, but we also want to make sure that we can afford those things. What should we be thinking about here? So if you're in your forever home, and you want to get work done on it, your best bet is to hire a professional, usually an interior designer, who will come in and look at your home, look at the big picture, talk to you about your goals, talk to you about your budget, and come up with a master plan that you can execute as your time and your finances allow. So can we talk about designers? I know that, you know, every industry has its own education, and sort of its own way of, of knowing what you're doing. And I know that some states require certain things and then other states don't. Is there any core education that somebody who calls themselves as a designer is required to have? So if you're going to be working with a designer, each state has their own rules about whether or not you can call yourself a designer. And the state that I live in, Massachusetts, does not require licensing to be an interior designer. You can just, you know, Put your shingle out and call yourself a designer. Um, but you know the core of what a, an interior designer, their knowledge base is what they have learned in school. 
and you have that education, you know, a minimum of an associate's degree, but you can also earn a bachelor's or a master's degree in interior design. And then, you know, the rest of what you know is learned on the job. And after I graduated from design school, I worked under the direction of several designers and learned from them. And what I learned from them, I put in my tool belt. And, you know, when I set out on my own, I was able to help my clients navigate based on, you know, my education, and my experience. So when somebody's looking to hire a designer for their home, they want to make sure that they understand what education and experience they have before contracting with them. How about trade organizations? So they should definitely be a member of a trade organization, whether it be at the state level or the national level. At our company, we are members of three trade organizations, uh, the American Society of Interior Designers, which promotes the profession, and we have uh, continuing education credits that we have to keep up on in order to maintain our membership. And then we are also members of two uh, national home building organizations as well, because those organizations connect us with the top people that we want to work with uh, when we are helping our clients with a renovation or a redesign project. You know, I always find the compensation around designers kind of like mystery math, where prices are sort of all over the board and how you pay a designer is can vary from job to job and from designer to designer. So can you talk about the different ways a designer might get paid? Sure. There are many ways that designers can get compensated for their time. And I would say before you even talk to a designer about their compensation is to ask them if they uh, use a contract. And if you are working with a designer that does not have a contract or they say they don't ever write up contracts, I would walk away because you always want to have a contract. And our firm charges a percentage of whatever the total budget for the project is. And that can be anywhere from 8 to 15% of the total project cost. And we help the client come up with that number of how much the project is going to cost before we even get started. And then we put together a formal contract and, you know, and and it outlines everything we're going to be doing. It's very detailed as to, you know, what happens if we need to change things, if the project scope grows and they, you know, we're just doing the kitchen and then they say, hey, you know, my daughter's home from college and she wanted to redo her room. Can you help her with that? You know, we have have things built into the contract so that that client understands what the costs would be associated to helping on things outside of the original contract. And, um, but there are some designers who charge by the hour and you should always know what their hourly fee is and get an estimate of the number of hours they think it's going to take to complete the project. Okay. And there are, there are also some designers who just charge a markup or a purchasing fee on materials that they order for a client. So when someone does markups on ordering, what does that mean to the consumer? Usually it means there is a net savings to the client. On occasion, you will end up paying a small amount more than you would have if you had gone into whatever business it is that uh, the materials are being purchased from. But we like to tell our clients not to think about it as paying more. It's paying for a service paying for not having to deal 
with all the hassles of ordering all the tile and the countertops and the cabinets and, and, you know, dealing with all the problems that can arise when things come in. And, and also when we're doing the ordering for our clients, we're also coordinating all of the deliveries, installations, making sure that the day that the pallet of tile is delivered to the house for their bathroom, that there are people on site to bring the tile into the house because they only do curbside delivery. You know, same with kitchen cabinets. You could have 50 cabinets being delivered one day and we make sure that the contractor has people on site to help unload and bring everything in the house. Um, we also deal with any sort of damages. We inspect everything. Uh, we make sure that, you know, a box of tile comes in and half the tile is broken. We make a call to the vendor, say, hey, the tile's broken. We need new tile. And and so it's really, you know, our, our clients see the value in that and they understand that they're saving money and they don't have to deal with the hassle of doing it themselves. And, you know, those two things together, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. And, and they just say, you, you guys take over and we'll, you know, we'll just sit back and relax. So for those home, for those homeowners that truly have both the resources to get done exactly what they want to get done, but maybe don't have the time to run around and do all these pieces and, and frankly, don't have the experience to say that they'll be able to do it as efficiently as possible, using a designer that, that does this part of the work for them can be a real hassle saver. Absolutely. So I think sometimes people get into this, they say, oh, I can do all those things myself, but then if your tile doesn't show up on the day that the guy that's going to install the tile is there, then he can't do his job and you have to pay him to come back another day. Right. And it also slows down the schedule. You know, the contractor can't finish up their part of it. If the tile hasn't been installed, then the plumber can't come back and the electrician can't come back. And, you know, all it, the dominoes just start falling. And then the next thing you know, your project's six weeks behind. So that's how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> People always say to me, oh, it's a month behind. It's two months behind. I'm like, how could it be two months behind? But it's like, this sort of makes sense when we talk about it this way. Right. And, you know, we we also help too, you know, we we place an order for something and the vendor comes back and says, oh, we just ran out of stock. It's going to be eight weeks before we get more material in. And we say, nope, we can't wait eight weeks. We go out and we find an alternate, something that is in stock, present that to the client. The client says, that's great and everything can stay on time and on target. So my takeaways from this are, one, make sure you get a contract from your designer. Two, you should check your references, make sure they have the right trade organizations, and then at least understand their education and experience so that you know whether or not they really have the experience to justify the job you want to do. And then third, let them run it because that's what you're paying for the idea that you're not going to try to run this yourself and that they coordinate all those things and you can just, you know, run your life and go make money to pay for your home renovations. That's it. You got it. Melissa, thanks so much for spending time with us today talking about this. If people wanted to reach out and ask you more questions, how would they get in touch with you? Well, they can visit our website at hammondesign.net and that's H-A-M-M-O-N-D-D-E-S-I-G-N.net. You can also call us in the studio at 978-474-9149.
and I can be reached via email at melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at hammonddesign.net. So I hope you all got some value today from our conversation. So just to recap, if it's your temporary home, be smart about what you spend. Big projects will not necessarily drive big additional revenue on the selling price. But if it's your forever home, start with a smart designer, come up with a plan, and make sure you know how they get paid and how they'll work for you to get the most for your money. This is KT Thomas. I want to thank you for listening to KT's Money Matters and remind you that my book is available through Amazon and a link on this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.